0: Now more than ever it's important that we as producers look for ways to connect with consumers and share our experiences in agriculture well as grandma used to say feeding someone is the way to their heart direct-to-consumer marketing in the beef industry is an excellent way to connect with customers buying your beef products especially since the pandemic created ripples in the beef supply chains in this episode Erin shares about her family's transition from big city living in New York City to selling direct-to-consumer beef from their ranch in Colorado. I'm excited for you to hear Erin's unique perspective as a first-generation rancher and how she connects with her customers. Hey everyone. We are so excited to have Erin join us today on the Kettleman U podcast, which is a podcast by Kettleman for Kettleman. Welcome, Erin. We're so glad you're here.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here as well.
0: Why don't you start and just tell us a little bit about your background and your family's operation just to get everyone up to speed with what you guys are all about?
1: Sure. I would be happy to. Thank you so much for the question. So my name is Erin. I'm a Colorado native. I live in the mountains of Colorado, so we split our time between the mountains of Breckenridge and then our ranch is also at around nine thousand square f- nine thousand not square feet nine thousand feet above sea level. We are the Eagle Rock Ranch. We are mainly a cow calf operation. We also have a hay production side of the business as well. So growing moms and babies, and then also harvesting about one cutting of Timothy grass hay a year, which is always an exciting time. Our ranch was founded in 1868, and it's actually been a continuous cattle operation ever. since sense. So, just a few years ago, we just celebrated our 150th anniversary. However, it's only been in our family since 2011. So, we are relatively new to the cattle business in terms of generations. I guess I'd call myself a second generation, but our family is truly a first generation in the cattle ranching business here in Colorado. So, we have a cow-calf operation, as mentioned. We do grow our own hay. And then, most recently, and I think we'll touch on this in a little bit, we started actually selling a lot of our beef direct-to-consumer via a website and also a a little store, a brick and mortar store that we opened here in a little town called Fair Play, Colorado as well.
0: We are going to touch on that. And one thing I want you to talk a little bit about is how you guys decided that, I don't want to say ranching wasn't just enough, but it seems as if we see ranches diversify their income, which you have done in two major streams. So tell me mm-hmm. a little bit about that decision, about that thought process where you guys put your heads together and said, okay, we need to have more than just the income from our cow-calf operation. What did that look like?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I think some of the kind of good things and bad things that come with being a first-generation ranching family, you don't inherit generations worth of this is how we do things, which is sometimes a blessing, but oftentimes a curse too, because once the family has something figured out, it seems to work well. And then, you know, it just kind of gets copied and repeated every year, tweaked here and there, but you kind of have a nice blueprint for your family to operate your ranch off of. We didn't have that luxury. So we're kind of paving our own ground here, which is Also gives us kind of a more progressive view. I like to think in terms of what the options are for our operation, which kind of led us down this road to the direct-to-consumer market. So, as you mentioned, we have diversified kind of our ranch income stream in a couple ways. One of which is this direct-to-consumer program. I would be remiss not to mention the fact that the majority of our herd, we do still sell to a co-op out of the northeastern Colorado state, based out of Oregon, northwestern. Apologies, and um, it's called Country Natural Beef. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but that's where the majority of our cattle our heart still goes, and then we've carved off a portion that just keeps growing, which is great. It seems like every couple months, I'm trying to grow that number bigger for our direct-to-consumer business. The other way we've diversified income is we do offer fishing on our ranch as well. We have three miles of the most beautiful Terrell Creek that runs through our property that provides some amazing gold medal trout fishing, and we actually lease that water to the Broadmoor Hotel if you're familiar with that here in Colorado Springs, and they bring their guests to fish at our ranch. So. The direct-to-consumer business and then also this fishing business was were two things that we kind of saw as first-generation families that we could do on our ranch to make it just feel a little bit different and have our income stream a little bit more diversified than a typical cattle ranch in our area.
0: Those are great options. And I love that you mentioned the fishing aspect because yeah. I think that any of that, what's called agritourism, any of that where you can make an income off of every layer of land is something that... The as producers, we need to be considering. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to foreshadow too much, but that's definitely on the horizon for us as well, um, is really being able to capitalize on what we have in our proximity to um, the Denver area. We're actually only about an hour and a half southwest of Denver. So we're pretty central. what's become a very major city. It was quite smaller when I was a child, but Denver's growing and only getting bigger, and we're pretty darn close to the middle of it. So being able to offer you know an opportunity to bring people out to the ranch to really experience What a true working cattle can look like is something that's definitely on our minds as well.
0: I think that's a perfect segue because what I'm seeing in the industry is we're moving and wanting to be further and further away from large communities like Denver but you kind Mm -hmm. of have the attitude that I have, which is what a great opportunity. Our consumers are right there. Our consumers are hungry, not only for knowledge, but for the product. So talk to me Mm -hmm. a little bit about your guys' view on connecting with the consumer and educating the consumer and creating this real life picture as you tell your story, both on social media and just on your ranch in general.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a multifaceted question, so I'll kind of take in a few chunks. But so you mentioned social media. I did start a Instagram account about a year and a half ago to really try to showcase what's happening at our ranch to others so that they could have a little glimpse into what a first generation cattle ranch operation would look like. So that's been a lot of fun. The uh, handle for that is at Eagle Rock Ranch Co., like for Colorado. And that audience has grown and become quite engaged and it's really opened our eyes into what people are curious about in terms of cattle ranching, um, what kind of questions they have, maybe their areas of lack of knowledge, and then why they really are drawn to our range and our product. So, kind of starting with that Instagram account, it really helped us kind of get our feelers out there to see what we needed to offer to the consumers to really showcase our product and our ranch and the like. I mean, like you said, we have Denver right in our backyard, which I think is, like I said, it's mixed feelings, but we do have hungry consumers, like you mentioned, both for knowledge and for product. I have a couple friends that are in close proximity to me in the same business and we all like to help each other. And we joke, you know, we couldn't even supply all the customers that walk in and out of Costco for a day, you know, on our own. So there's plenty of, demand and not nearly enough supply. So us being able to tap into that Denver market as much as we can is really something that we enjoy doing. And we've actually started supplying a couple local restaurants here in Breckenridge, Colorado as well, which has been a lot of fun because they're then able to turn around and tell the story of Eagle Rock Ranch and how our animals are raised and the humane certifications that we're so proud of. It's really full circle. And then those customers that are buying the beef at the restaurant can then look up our ranch website and our Instagram and kind of really get bought into the story of our beef And I think that once people really feel comfortable with where their food comes from and really knowing, you know, even down to the names of the people that are feeding those cattle in the morning and in the evening, they feel a lot more comfortable ordering that steak off the menu or eating that cheeseburger, I think, more now than it's ever been. I'm sure we could go on and on about this. So please feel free to ask me more poignant questions on this topic. But that's kind of an overview.
0: Absolutely. I think you brought up a really great point that I just want to hit home. There is need for every type of producer out there. And I think it's easy to... It's human nature to say, oh, well, you know, the neighbor's selling Farm to Table too. dang it, they're going to probably right. take some of my customers or something like that. But we're all on the same playing field. And the goal is that we have a safe, affordable, nutritious product on the plates of more and more people every single night.
1: Yep. I mean, I always say, Carolyn, I tell my customers, sometimes I'll have customers that come into my store. I, I work my store personally, uh, which is a lot of fun. You know, we're definitely a small family operation. So I'm the one. I'm the one sitting there at the counter. And if I get somebody that comes in and maybe they look at my prices, you know, with a little cross eye and say, oh, you know, why are you charging that for steak or whatever? I'm more than happy to explain, you know, as as to the process as to how we choose to raise our cattle and why our prices are where they are. But I always end with the line that you just said. I always say, just eat U.S. beef. If it's not mine, I understand it's not for everybody, but go find a rancher that you want to buy from or that you trust or that, you know, kind of meets your price point and meets your case profile and just buy from an American rancher, whether it's me or someone down the street street. So like you said, it's human nature not to want to say that. You want to be like, no, mine's the best, like buy my beef. But I think just like as ranchers, we are all in this together. We have to keep each other built up on that level playing field to say, it might not be my beef, it can be the neighbor's beef. Just find some beef that's good for you because there's such a huge demand out there for clean, humanely certified ranch raised beef that there's plenty of demand for us all to supply. It's just really finding your niche kind of in that market and then encouraging those around you to really do the same.
0: Yes. I completely agree. We need more people eating beef. And that's what makes our whole lives go round. Is more demand means more supply. So whatever way mm-hmm. they can get it on their table, as long as it serves their family and whatever situation they're in at that moment, I think that's a win for the whole industry. I know that you have a couple kids running around. Tell me a little bit about incorporating family life into your guys' operation and how You're preparing for the next generation and keeping those kids active.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Yep, we have three little ones, and they definitely share a big part of the ranch with us back to that question we talked about earlier with kind of, you know, income off the ranch, my husband does have, you know, what most of us call an off the ranch job. So he works at a local bank here in town. And that's why we kind of split our time between the ranch and Breckenridge. So a lot of the times it's really just myself and the three kids over at the ranch, which really leaves for a lot of room for wonder and creativity and bravery and life lessons. And we actually, I'll touch on this really quick because it's kind of an important component to the story. My husband and I met back East. I'm originally from Colorado, but we met in in New York City and we lived there, which is still crazy to me, for 17 years. Our kids were born there. Our life was there. And I just felt this calling to get home to the family ranch in 2016 and we moved back to Colorado. So the reason I mention that is I look at the way that my kids are today and how different they were five and a half years ago when we moved home and what the ranch has really given to these children that I could never give to them without the setting right in our backyard. So whether it's you know, feeding a bottle calf if you get, you know, one or two of those in the spring, to helping clean up after the horses, you know, helping my mom clean a horse pen. Maybe it's doctoring a little abrasion or something on a calf in the silencer shoot when they're learning how to work the hydraulics and just get comfortable with, with the livestock and kind of know um safety protocols around livestock, et cetera. But all these little things that were able to expose them to really gives them an immense sense of pride and independence. And I've just really enjoyed watching them grow up in this environment. It's really something that's so special if you're able to give it to your children. And I just can't imagine still living our old life with this kind of available to us and not tapping into it. So we really allow them to do as much as they want. One other funny anecdote, just yesterday on my Instagram, I have posted this, but my son was branding all of his plastic animals because we just had branding a couple of weeks ago at our own ranch. Next thing I he had created his Flying D brand. His name is David. So he created the Flying D, and my husband got him a blowtorch that he can only use with supervision. And um, he was branding all this plastic cows. So just that sense of pride, you know, this was his herd, just like it was his grandpa's herd or whatever, is something really unique to uh, ranching kids that I'm just very happy that I can expose my kids to.
0: I saw that picture and it was great. It reminds me yeah. I have a niece and nephew back on the operation. and. They will be the fourth generation. So it started with my grandparents and now, you know, my niece and nephew will be the fourth. And it's amazing to me how capable kids are. And I just, all the time, they're three and five and so much is caught, and I tell my brother that all the time. I say they're watching us, and I said more is caught than we can teach them. And so, just being aware, they're watching us run the shoot. They're watching us bring cattle up, even. My nephew said the cutest thing the other day. I said, I think it's time that you start opening gates for us. And he Mm -hmm. said, okay. Yeah. And I said, do you have questions? Do you want me to show you how to do it? And he turns over on the side by side and he's a cute little kid. And he said, well, auntie, I've been watching you guys. I know how to do it. And it just (laughs) reminded me how cool it is of a situation to have multiple generations. I mean, I really think that's how we were designed to live is with grandparents and parents close by and even mm-hmm. aunts and uncles, if that's a possibility. And so I do think yep. there's something special about those ranch kids.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I love that story about your nephew saying that he's been watching you because isn't that, I mean, that's so true. And it's so easy to kind of forget that they can just learn by just watching us, like you mentioned. And like you said, too, just that generational feel on the ranch. I feel like, you know, this is a generalization, but the majority of children growing up these days just don't have that exposure to either other generations ahead of them, you know, doing something that they love and being able to work alongside them, like, like it was a hundred years ago. So you know, watching my son be able to help my dad do certain things is so rewarding for me, and I think it really instills a sense of family in a child that's really hard to um, to kind of cultivate. It's not saying you can't cultivate other ways, but this is just kind of a foolproof way to cultivate the love of a family, and the need of a family, and the need of different generations, and how we all help each other for the greater good of our family. And I just I get so much pride in watching my kids work alongside their grandparents, doing something that's really physical. It's a hard day's work, and at the end of the day, everyone sleeps well and feels good about it and you know accomplish something together and with hang season upon us here in Colorado that'll be our next kind of big hurdles the family will be getting through hang season so the kids will more often than not probably be found in a tractor for a while
0: absolutely I sometimes think that people get discouraged if life calls them away from the ranch, or maybe they marry someone whose passion is not the ranch to begin with, or, you know, a job takes them away. Can you Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about, you know, the ability to be off the ranch and move home, you know, not right out of school? And so, yeah. what that looked like and some of those logistics and how you think it set you guys up a little bit different. I just know some, some of yeah. our listeners, you know, we're in their 30s or 40s and this is a passion of theirs and they're almost worried it's too late. And talk a little bit about yeah. timing and how it worked for
1: you guys. Wonderful question. And I think I'm a good person to talk to that. As I mentioned before, you know, I was, I'm born and raised Colorado girl. I grew up in 4-H, but showing horses, we never had cattle. Cattle are new to our family, but it was a passion that my Dad set out to someday own a ranch, and that, like I said, happened in 2011. So, call myself second generation. We can kind of fast forward to that point. But I was living away. I was I, I had little babies. I had a, my children now are 10, 9, and 5, so they were they were tiny. I was kind of bogged down with momhood. My husband was working in New York City. I was living the quite opposite life than I am right now. I was a stay at home mom. You know, I had a white picket fence around my yard, and everything kind of looked very clean and orderly and organized, but uh, something was just missing. I just knew that my heart wasn't feeling fulfilled. And so when I got the opportunity to move home, we did. So we jumped on that. My husband turning 40 the next month, I was not far behind him and it felt like a crazy enormous shift, kind of, you know, changing of the tide of the boat. Like, where are we going? Why are we doing this? Was this the right decision? This is really scary leaving everything that we know. But I truly felt a calling in my soul just to go home. So we did. We we came home. We didn't know what the heck we were really going to do. But you mentioned, you know, kind of setting yourself up. I think the one thing that we did extremely smart is we took that time and it was a sacrifice. I mean, leaving home, I guess I left Colorado for college and then I stayed back east and that was a big sacrifice. I don't ever want to downplay that. I think if it was up to me looking Looking, not not looking back because everything works out how how it should but I wanted to stay in Colorado i i had no desire to leave but my parents kind of pushed me out and said go explore you can always come home you know just go so that was a sacrifice for me to go live and work in New york City when i'm a Colorado cowgirl. Um, it was far from my comfort zone and I just wanted to get back home. But by doing that, my husband and I were able to set ourselves up for that transition to come home. So it was okay that we didn't know you know, 100% what we were going to do that first year. We have enough savings, we can figure it out But we just need to make this move and just kind of do the next right thing. So we definitely set ourselves up, I think, early on in our careers by working really hard, making the sacrifices off the ranch in an industry that maybe wasn't, you know, my passion industry, but it set us up financially to do what's most fulfilling for us later on in life. That was kind of how we ended up coming back. But it was a scary decision. It was like, I think it would have been easy to say, like you mentioned, it's too late. We're already doing this. Why would we change course now? But every day I wake up in this kind of totally different life than we lived six years ago and I couldn't be more happy that I made the change. And maybe it's because I'm 40 now. I just turned 40 last month, but I just have this perspective of like, it's never too late and you just have to kind of do the next right thing that feels right. And it's working out for us. We live a different lifestyle than we did in Connecticut, but it's a much more fulfilled lifestyle. And it just kind of proves that you can always come home. It's just not as linear as you might think it might be, you know, when you're 18 years old planning out your future. But it's never too late, you know, to kind of pivot and do something different.
0: I agree. Absolutely. And the other thing that I think is really important for people to hear is when you're coming back and getting started, it's such an honor to feed people whether you have one head yeah. or 500 head. And sure. we live in an industry where bigger is better when we're comparing to the neighbors or when we're thinking about our operation. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes I'm really humbled to just know that I'm providing the nutrients for a kid to learn at school the next day or for yes. you know, a woman who's growing a baby to help develop that child. And I think it doesn't matter... The size of the operation or the age that you get started, every single heartbeat that we're raising an animal that we are producing food for the growing world, I think is such a big mm-hmm. commitment, but I also think it's such an honor.
1: Absolutely. I think that's nice. That's, I mean, that's a great way to put it. And I always, I'm sure you're aware of this fact, but I always go back to, I think it was like the 2017 census. I'm sure there's an updated one now, but it showed that like the average cow-calf operation across the United States was like 43.5 So like you look at these operations and you're like, oh, you only have, sorry, we only have 150 pair. We only have 200. We're not as big as those guys. But really, I mean, when you think about the average operation has less than 50 head, I think that's a great perspective for just like you said, whether you have one head or 10 head or 50 head, you are providing for the greater good. So I don't think there's any reason to ever get discouraged when you can. Think about things like that. You don't have to be big to be successful. And I think, you know, that's even more so, Carolyn, why we've gone in this direction of direct to consumer is we didn't want to keep growing our herd just to grow the herd, right? That's kind of the old mentality. Like every year you keep 10% or whatever your, you know, your kind of metric is for your ranch. But we just weren't sure like why we should keep growing. So we thought, is there a more, you know, is there a smarter way to work within our current herd size and current parameters to make it more efficient for our ranch? And that was really our direct to consumer answer. Was like well, let's try this, and we don't need you know huge volumes if we're going right to the consumer, and we're kind of cutting out a couple steps to kind of make everything work. So that was another kind of deciding factor: is let's not grow the herd massive, but let's focus on the numbers that we need and just make it really good.
0: I love that. What is something that you have done on your operation that's either different than the way that you grew up, so the way that your parents did it, or different in the sense of you guys came from other industries? So did you pull something from the other industries into the agriculture industry, but? Let's talk about the business side a little bit. What is something you guys are trying or something you're doing that you don't think is kind of mainstream when running an operation as far as like in the office business side?
1: Sure. Yeah. um, So I have a couple thoughts on this. I mean, I guess the one thing that sticks out the most is obviously kind of our dualed arm, you know, direct to consumer and also supplying a beef co-op in terms of where our herd's going. We also, in terms of kind of the office side, um, Because we ranch at 9,000 feet above sea level, we've actually pushed back our calving season till May June, which is quite late for the industry. But because we're selling direct to consumer and supplying a co-op who needs beef year round, we're really not tied to the fall cattle markets. So that's something that we've kind of taken a like a progressive view on. I guess being you know a first and second generation operation is like, hey, we actually don't have to sell. At the sales, we can do it this way and be able to push our calving season back to be easier on our mothers and be easier on the the calf and frankly, be easier on us. And that's something that we've done that I I think is a bit progressive. I think it's really easy to just say like, well, no, you know, calves are born in February and then they you know, go away in the fall. Even when we purchased the ranch from the previous owner, that's how they did things. And we kind of put our business hats on from our old life and like, well, what, what really makes sense? Like, why do we, why are we doing this? And do we have to do it? So I think, you know, being able to step back and not have, you know, like a deep seated passion or reason as to like, well, we've always done it that way. That's how my great, great grandpa did it. That's really allowed us to make um, a better decision for our herd. So calving season is kind of one of them. Threat to consumer obviously is something different. Just in terms of our operation, one thing I'd, I. I Think I should mention too, different perspective is we, being first generation and being new to the industry, we really thought it was very important for us to get with great mentors, and have some really progressive, good, humane protocol for us to follow. Because we had this fear of, well, if we just ask the guy down the road, maybe he's kind of in that same mentality of like, well, this is just how you do it. And maybe there's more you know, ways to do one thing. Obviously, there's many ways, but in ranching, it's very easy, I'm sure as you know, and as most of these listeners probably know, to get kind of stuck in a rut. So we... Came into the business aligning ourselves with a couple payment certification operations. One's called Where Food Comes From, out of Castle Rock, Colorado. We are certified beef care through them. Half of our herd is certified global animal partnership level four, so GAP level four. We are very involved with BQA, Beef Quality Assurance. All those different platforms really keep us on track and keep us progressively thinking about how to treat our herd because we don't have that blueprint from our ancestors as to like how this works best. So, I, I mean, that's kind of more on the cattle care side, but I think aligning ourselves with those different groups and really having those kind of checks and balances in place is really something that we've done differently to kind of being all in on these humane certifications to ensure that we're running a really progressive and humane cattle operation.
0: I would agree. One thing, or how I word that in my business life, is kind of an executive team or, you know, an executive board. And I do think that businesses grow when other people can come in and help guide. And whether it be a leadership team or you bring in some outside companies who have protocols and certifications that you follow. But In ranching, it's really easy to have your nose to the grindstone and to work a lot and not pick your head up. And we do it without even really thinking about it. I mean, we can go three months and just care for the animals, make sure everyone's fed outside and inside and everything's, you know, Mm -hmm. alive and taken care of. And sometimes those meetings or those certifications just allow us to pick up a little bit and step back. And it's the difference between working in your business and on your business. And I really think in agriculture, the operations that are going to be successful going forward, they're going to be run as a business first that enjoys the lifestyle that ranching breaks.
1: That's a great way to put it. In your business versus on your business. That's such an important differentiator, isn't it? I could, I definitely am going to take that home with me today as well.
0: <laughs> yeah. And and I heard someone say just the other day, I was at a conference and someone said, you should have some time where you're sitting at your desk and you're working the business, right? And you're thinking about yeah. the numbers and running the hard stuff. And and they said, you know, the first person who's going to notice is your neighbor because they're going to drive by. And they're going to laugh and point at your truck in the driveway and say, man, it's nine o'clock and they haven't even got out of bed yet. And little do they know. <sighs> those (laughs) decisions that you made that morning is going to be what changes your operation for your future and your next generation's future. And so if it was only what it looked like from the outside, it'd be a completely different story. Absolutely. Okay, perfect. So uh, we have both a lot of listeners who are seasoned ranchers, lots of third, fourth, fifth generation operations. We have a lot of new first generation people who want to start an operation. What do you think is your biggest piece of advice, whether they've been ranching for a while or they're brand new, when someone comes and asks you about your ranching business and they're also in ranching, what advice do you give them?
1: Great question. I mean, the first word that jumps into my head is humility. I think going in, you know, with an open mind, whether you've been doing it forever or whether you're new to the business and really viewing others the same way. So if I were to sit down with a fifth or sixth generation, um, cattleman or cattle woman, and he or she were to sit down with me, I would hope that we could both look at each other with the same, um, respect for what we both bring to the table. So I think going in with a humble attitude in terms of there's always more to learn. Um, like you said, there should be that business executive team, um, that's kind of guiding your business along the way. But having that respect for each other that no matter how how long or how short you've been in this business, everybody has something to bring to the table in their own fashion, whether it's bringing our business background that we came from to the ranching world, or whether it's You know, the great-great-grandson who has that, you know, nice blueprint from his great-great-grandfather as to how to do things every year. Everyone can bring something special to the table, and it's really important for us all um, to honor that in each other and to listen to each other and know that there's no one correct way to ranching. And as long as we can all be a cohesive group of American ranchers supplying quality, safe beef to American tables, I think it's a win.
0: Yes. And I think that is a huge point is, again, we're all on the same playing field. And something that I've seen you guys do that I really admire, and I think sometimes, well, always we look at someone and we think, man, I need to be them, but they're in chapter 40 and I'm in chapter one. And so I just really want to encourage everyone that change on our operations happen in 1% increment. And so if you're interested in direct to consumer, or you're interested in adding, adding different revenue streams, or even leaving your eight to five or nine to five to come back to an operation or start an operation, you don't have to go to a hundred percent the first day, every single step. That's what really makes the difference is when we just tweak the path 1% every day, they talk about an airplane, right? If it just tweaks 1% along its path, it gets to a different location. And I just really want to encourage people that might mean, you know, pushing your cabin. Turning your bulls out one day later if you want to move your calving period back or, you know, whatever that looks like. But we don't have to change everything overnight and we don't need to feel obligated to be where anyone else is because it's our own story and we're all on a different mission working on this level playing
1: field. That's very well said. I agree 100% because isn't it well, so easy you. to feel caught up in that moment? Yes. No, thank yes. you for having me. It was really a joy to talk to you. And um, I love talking all things Cattleman you with you. I think the platform you guys have created is so impressive. We're honored to be a part of it. And we you know, can't wait for more content to get released. And we just are really impressed with everything you and your team have done.
0: Well, thank you. We love following you guys and working with you guys. And um, we have some exciting things coming up this fall. So we will keep you updated. And Great. of course, I will put all of Aaron's contact information in the show notes and her social media handle and her website and everything like that. So you guys can find her and follow along. And I'm sure she'll be happy to answer any questions if you want to reach out.
1: Absolutely. Thanks again for having me. And I look forward to seeing all that's to come for you guys.
0: Meet us in Nebraska this September on the 16th through 18th. We'll be hosting the Cattleman U live event in Grand Island, Nebraska. This event will feature industry leading speakers, groundbreaking tour stops and cattle handling demos that will allow you to refresh your skills. Whether you're a first generation rancher or next generation rancher, Cattleman U is for you. You don't have to be a member of Cattleman U to meet us in Nebraska. Grab your tickets today at cattlemenulive.com backslash live events. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Kettleman podcast. Don't forget to follow and subscribe at kettlemenulive.com slash podcast so you never miss an episode. And remember, the grass is greener where you water it.